Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. To talk about people, it would be to refer to someone's identity in the strongest terms. He would have been talking about a people group set apart from others by the distinctiveness of their language and culture. Something that we can so easily overlook because English is spoken all around the world and our culture today is multicultural. But just over the last weekend, what we have seen is people from all across this country and way beyond celebrating something of what it means to be British. And you know what? It felt good. It felt good to see thousands upon thousands lining the streets, celebrating something which is at the very heart of our identity. The monarchy. It was a great thing. Didn't it make you proud to be British? And now Peter is reflecting that sort of sense of identity on these believers. You are a people. And then pushing further, he continues, now you are God's people. And that would have hit them deeply. Because historically, the Jews always consider that they were the people of God. And now Peter is using that term for the church. From the time of Abraham onwards, the Jews had been carrying the promise. But as Paul reminded the church in Galatia, this was a promise that we have been joined into in Christ. In Galatians 3 it reads, For as many of you as who were baptised into Christ and put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. As part of the church, we are in Christ the people of God, his chosen people. We are a holy nation. And the fulfilment of God's promise is being worked out in the church. Peter goes on to say even more. And it's this that I really want to talk about this morning. He says, you are a royal priesthood. We read it, we say it, but how often do we think about what it really means? You are a royal priesthood. If we go back first of all and look at what priests in the Old Testament did, we can start to see what it means to be a priest. It starts with Aaron and his sons in Genesis. It moves through the family and then into the tribe of Levi. Priests served the people of Israel. They staffed the tabernacle and the temple. 
During the wilderness years, they were responsible for the Ark of the Covenant and all the trappings that went with it, moving it day after day. You know, when you read through the accounts, there was even someone whose job it was to pick up the tent pegs. And that would have been a great honour. Because this was an awesome responsibility. Because this wooden box with gold and statues on it. The Ark of the Covenant that held the tablets that Moses had been given symbolised to them the very presence of their God. And they held it at the heart of their community. And then as the temple was established, the priests served in the temple. And much of that would have been very practical roles. I mean, we easily forget the scale of what was going on. The operation was vast. And people had to prepare the altars, prepare the sacrifices, make sure the lamps were filled and trimmed. Everything had to be ready. And everything had to be perfect. It was a vast operation. So what was their job? In essence, the priest's job was to stand between the people and their God. And to serve God as the people came to offer their sacrifices. But then there was one very special day each year. When after purifying himself, after offering a sacrifice for his own sin, offering a sacrifice for the sin of the people, the high priest would enter through the veil, the veil that separated the temple from the most holy place. He did it with fear and trepidation, because the high priest would for a moment stand in the very presence of God. He did it with fear because God himself had said that anyone entering his presence at any other time would die. In fact, so much fear that they tied a cord around him so that if he was overcome, they could pull him out without risking anyone else's life. Before they entered, the high priest was cleaned. He was ritually purified. Just like we have been in Christ. He offered that sacrifice for his own sin. His sin was covered by the blood of an animal. Ours is covered by Christ's. As Peter writes, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He would put on special robes. They were blue. The hem was ringed with bells and little pomegranates. I don't know why the pomegranates, but the bells were there for a very practical reason. It was so they could tell whether he was still alive, because all the time he was moving, the little bells would ring. You know, we are clothed in the robes of Christ's righteousness. 
In Revelation 7 it says, Behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And then on this one day, the high priest, with his robes on, with the rope tied to his ankle, with the bells so we knew he was alive, he would draw aside the veil that separated the temple from the most holy place, and he would go in. And on that same day, he would take two goats before God. And having sacrificed one of them, he'd place his hands on the head of the other. It was a symbolic act. And in so doing, he was transferring all the sin and iniquity of Israel onto this goat. You can read about it in Leviticus 16. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat... And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel. That would have taken a while. And all their transgressions and all their sins. This was not a dozen people. This was a nation. And he shall put them all on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who's in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Can you see the picture? The goat took on the sins of the people and carried them away. It's where we get the expression scapegoat from. The goat becomes an outcast. It wanders the wilderness, bearing the blame that truly belonged to others. And as Christ hung on the cross, as well as enduring the physical pain and the suffering of crucifixion, the sin and the iniquities of us all were transferred to him. He became the scapegoat for mankind, bearing everything of our guilt and our shame. And facing our punishment to the full. But now the veil has been torn in two. It's been split from the very top to the bottom. So now there's no restriction on how we enter God's presence. Like the high priest on the day of atonement, we can walk into the most holy place. Now it's right we should do so with reverence, with awe. But we no longer have to do it with fear and trepidation. In Old Testament times, the priests were anointed with oil. And it was to represent God's spirit working through them. You know that wonderful passage where it talks about the anointing and the oil flowing down through Aaron's beard. You know, ever since that first Pentecost, we've been anointed. 
Not with oil, but with the living Spirit of God himself. Jesus himself was anointed. The Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptised. And so we, like Jesus, can say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort those who mourn. So you see, in Christ we become priests. With Christ having gone before us, he opens the way to the Father. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of people. And no one takes the honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. We are all commissioned as priests. And Jesus, our high priest. So what does that mean? It means we no longer need a priest to stand between us and God. We have direct access. No one needs to offer sacrifices on our behalf anymore. We can come to God direct with clean hearts and a clear conscience because of what Christ has done. We can pray. We can talk directly with the creator of the universe. We can sing and our praise is before our God just like incense. We don't need others to pray. We don't need others to bring our offerings for us. We need no standing, no substitute. The veil has been torn in two. We need no scapegoat. Christ has been that for us once and for all. We just need to confess our sin to God, repent, turn away and accept his forgiveness. Now you know, 
even as I'm preaching this, I can hear some questions forming. So I thought I'd deal with a couple of them. What about women? Well, we hear all this controversy in the press, don't we, about women priests? And yet here I am saying, we're all priests. Some denominations seem to have a problem with it. How does it all fit in? I'll tell you what, let's start with what God says. Because I find that tends to be the safest approach in matters like this. If we go back to 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, where in that passage does it refer to males? In the preceding passage, it's talking about those who have Christ being built up as living stones into a spiritual house. It talks about a holy priesthood. Why? Because to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now nothing in there restricts restricts us on the basis of gender. Only it restricts us on the basis of us having come to Christ. And as we saw earlier, in that respect, Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So why can women not be priests? So if you're discounting yourself from being a priest this morning, on the basis you're a woman, forget it. Right, don't hold water. But I thought women couldn't be leaders in the church. Hang on, let's not confuse this with priesthood. We are called to be priests. In fact, we're even instructed in various ways to, be, to minister to each other. Now that's why I tend to shy away from labels such as minister or priest. Because it wrongly makes people think that only one person can do those things. That's not what the Bible teaches. Instead we tend to talk about leadership. And even that is generally open to all, to the extent they have the character and the gifting for it. Now there are some passages in the New Testament that restrict the extent to which women should be in authority over men. And more specifically teach that elders, the final government and authority of the church, should be male. But within those restrictions, women are free to exercise leadership as God leads them. I mean here, we have women leading small groups, women leading worship, and in fact the worship team, and in all sorts of other areas. So rather than being distracted by those issues, let's live out our lives in a 
manner that is worthy of our calling. We are all priests. We have unfettered access. We have been anointed with God's spirit. We are seen in his eyes as clean and righteous because our sin has already been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And we are called to bring the presence of God into our community. That's the purpose of it all. If you don't believe me, look at verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. The reason we are priests is so that others may find the way to the Father. So that others may be called out of darkness into light. It's a calling on us all. But let's not lose the wonderful sense of what that role means for us. Direct access to God. Our prayers heard with no one stood between us. Our worship seen as it is. The fact that we're seen as clean and righteous because of Christ's blood. And the wonderful anointing of God's Spirit. I'm going to leave it there. But brothers, sisters, we are a people of God. We are a royal priesthood. Let's not lose that. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.